0: This morning, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 15. Acts, chapter 15. And as we turn there, uh, the title of the message is Change and Unity. Uh, I don't remember who it was uh, that sang the song, uh, Times They Are a Changing. I think it was Bob Dylan, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, that was a long time ago. But times are still changing, right? So you go any time in your life, times are changing God's doing new things. He's changing circumstances. And as creatures of habit, how do you deal with change when God is changing something? Um, a new job, maybe a, a family relationship, maybe it, it's changes within uh, your workplace or your school. Uh, we, we struggle with, with change. And what happens in Acts chapter 15 is it's such a key chapter that, that there's a, this incredible change that is going on. And we've been studying it up to this point. Uh, remember that Paul and Barnabas, on their first missionary journey, they traveled there from Antioch, the church that they were from, and then they went through Cyprus, which was Barnabas' home, and then they went up through Perga and Iconium and Lystra. But you find out that there were these people that were called Judaizers that followed them wherever they went. And so just imagine every city you go to, you're on a, a, a speaking and teaching uh, mission. And everywhere you go, these, these guys are following you. And they're saying, these guys aren't quite teaching the truth. They're not quite teaching what's right. And that would be pretty frustrating, right? Well, these people are, are following Paul and Barnabas. Now, the dissension starts to really uh, come into play in chapter 15. And I want you to read with me what happens in Acts chapter 15. It says, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now these times are changing and these certain men that follow Paul and Barnabas wanted to add uh, some things to Paul and Barnabas's message. So what they were saying is that the circumcision um, they were saying it's important that you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses. Now the word the circumcision is almost like a, a junk drawer term, uh, a phrase that isn't just the rite of circumcision, but it was the cultural aspects of religious Judaism. So they were saying, and here's the question, someone that's a Gentile, remember when Paul and Barnabas were preaching this to the Gentiles, this, the Holy Spirit sent them out, And now the question was, as the Gentiles come, do they have to also become Jewish uh, legally or or religiously? Do they have to become like us? And I want you to think about this for a moment because we can look at this in America in 2014 and say, well, that's kind of a, a weird concept, a weird thing. But remember that for Israel all the way up to this point, that was God's plan. That Israel would be a light to the nations. And that when people wanted to follow the God of Israel, then they started following the laws and the customs of Israel. So when God started to change some things, this was a thing that for the, the Jews, even the Jewish followers of Christ, it, it was a paradigm shift. And, and for each one of us, we, we can think of times in our lives where God revealed something to us that was shocking and was a paradigm shift. Um, as they come through this uh, this place, remember that they were teaching um, these things that were so new that is so obvious for us as believers. Oh, we're saved by grace through faith. And so Paul and Barnabas, it says in verse 2, uh, when, when they had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Now, I like how the Holy Spirit says this in Acts 15, there was no small dissension and dispute. So what does that mean? It means there was a big dissension and dispute. Um, I don't know if uh, you've ever said this, if you are married and you've ever argued with your wife and uh, your kids, you know, say, what's going on? And you say, we're having a discussion. Uh, you know, it's not no argument, it's just a discussion. It's no small dispute, uh, no small dissension. Sometimes it's a, a big dissension. And, and I think of this, um, if you hear uh, people in Israel talk just the way that they talk, sometimes it sounds like they're arguing even when they're not arguing. Imagine when they really are arguing, you know, and and, uh, it's like, wow, you know, maybe you're from a certain culture where when you get together with your family, your family is loud. We have this joke in our family. There's a few of us in our family that have our volume button broken, you know, stuck on loud all the time. And it doesn't matter if we're in movie theaters or in libraries or wherever we are. So there was this no small dissension, though, because it was such a key issue. This is not a frivolous difference of what color or or how what song should we sing or no this is this is a big deal and it's such a big deal that they decided and paul and barnabas decided hey we we should go to the apostles and the elders about this question like we should go beyond us to another group of people that we trust that god has chosen and so they trusted the leadership of the church in jerusalem Now, at this point, remember that Paul and Barnabas, even though these churches were autonomous, they still were accountable to one another. And so they go right to the heart of it. And if this trial is going to be, if this dispute is about Judaism and Christianity, let's go to the heart of it. Let's go to Jerusalem. And so it says in verse three, so being sent on their way by the church, they pass through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they cause great joy to all of the brethren. Now, why are Paul and Barnabas and these other men going to Jerusalem? They, they're going to ask the elders and the apostles, hey, this is the doctrinal issue. We want you to, to confirm, you know, what is being taught. But notice that on the way, what do they do? they share the good news with people and i think that this is important for us because sometimes as christians um i think that we miss this concept we sometimes see preaching the gospel and telling people the good news of christ as a plan or a destination like okay i'm gonna share the gospel with this person so you know uh, how should i do it um We'll go out to Starbucks, we'll have some coffee. Okay, what, what words should I use? And like, how should I introduce this, uh, this concept of following Jesus to them? And there's nothing wrong with praying and thinking about those things. But I want you to know that Paul and Barnabas, while they're on their way to do a certain thing, they're still sharing the gospel as they go. You know, I'm, I'm blown away by, um, by Kevin Utili. Uh When we were in Israel, um, wherever we went, Kevin was sharing the gospel. So we're in a cab going from one site to another site. And as we're going in the cab from one site to another site, he's sharing the gospel. And, and we get out and he's paying the cab driver extra money to, because the guy's in a hurry, right? He's a cab driver. He has to be, his, his meter's running. So he's paying the guy extra so that the guy will just sit there and listen to him as he's sharing the gospel. And what that tells me is that he wasn't just there on a sightseeing tour. He was there on mission as he was learning. And I think that it's important, no matter what we're doing, that we're always looking for those opportunities to share who God is and what God's doing. And Paul and Barnabas, as they're going through these areas, they're describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And notice it caused great joy among all the brethren. In verse 4, When they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, they rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, this is the turning, this crux of this whole argument right here. These Pharisees, it says, they were Pharisees who believed, which means that they were followers of Christ. When, um, when I was coaching, we used to have a, a sign that was painted in the gym. And it said that somewhere uh, today, your opponent is lifting. Okay, and that was kind of an inspiration for our guys to come in. They'd come into the weight room. They would read somewhere, you know, the guy that you're going to play against is lifting. So you have to decide, are you also going to lift? And it it put in their hearts this kind of competition to be ready to lift these weights. I actually think that in some ways, what can happen mistakenly is that this kid that's never lifted weights could come in and all of a sudden try to lift the things that everyone else is lifting. The Jews, from all of this time, when they would share with Gentiles, would tell them, That the way to God, the way to follow God, is to follow this law that God has given to us. And you as Gentiles can be circumcised and follow these religious rites, and you could become one of us. And because there was this change that was happening, and the weights that were upon them, I I don't want to throw judgment at these Pharisees as though, oh, you know, these religious hypocrites. I think that it might have been somewhat normal for them to ask these gentiles to do the same things that they had done let me also say that it could be that they want them to lift the same things that they had to lift the weights that they had to lift so to speak so as this is happening um this controversy became a threat to the unity of the church and there are always threats to the unity of a church the threats usually are small I mean, they're big threats, but they come from frivolous things sometimes. Um, Maybe a person's views about prophecy and end times eschatology, and that could threaten to divide fellowship between people. Or the way that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in operation, that that could sometimes break fellowship with people. This is not one of these issues that is important, but not essential to salvation. This could become a big thing because this is a salvation issue. They're saying, these Pharisees that are followers of Christ are saying, yeah, they could come to Christ, but they also have to do these things. That's why it became a really big deal. Really important for us to understand the difference between law and grace. Now, later, Paul would write the letter to the Galatians, exhorting them to continue in the faith and the grace by which they had been saved. And we'll get to that um, later on. But at this time, in this court hearing um think about this as a trial and it in the midst of this trial uh the controversy is this the gentiles what must they do to be followers of christ what must they do to be saved do they only have to believe and follow by faith or do they have to do some other things as well so When they call witnesses in a courtroom, this is kind of like a a religious courtroom, the first witness that they call is Peter. Remember that in Acts chapter 2, Peter was the one that that stood up when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, that gave the message uh, of salvation through Christ. And it was also Peter that went to Cornelius. Do you remember when Peter had the vision of, uh, you know, the giant tortilla with all the meat on it, or, uh, you know, the sheet, you know, with all the different types of unclean animals showing him that God had a, a um, an opening up of other things that they had formerly considered unclean, which more than anything would be the Gentiles in a sense to them. So they called the witness of Peter. So it says in verse six, the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, so notice the spiritual authority of the apostles and the elders. Uh, they, in a sense, weren't saying I judge on my own, but they were accountable. And Paul and Barnabas were even accountable to them. And here's Peter's testimony. Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did To us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, really important in a courtroom, um, there are something uh, that we do in in American uh, laws and civil laws that we have. It's called setting a precedence, right? And in setting a precedence, that means if something has already been found in judgment of the law, then the next time another issue is similar to that, they go to the precedence. Well, if you remember, it was Peter that God used to preach the gospel to Cornelius. And at that time, there was this rejoicing that the gospel was now to the Gentiles. It is also really, really important for us to understand this. It says that by, the mouth of the, uh, by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel. And let me just pause there for a second. What is the gospel? What is it? it? It means the good news, right? That's what the word gospel means. But what is the good news? Jesus Christ, okay, he came, he died for our sins, he rose again. Um, we're saved by grace through faith and what he has done it's all christ's work realize that there are many many people that sit in churches all across america and maybe even here today that don't understand the gospel uh, we have uh we use it now as a phrase to to describe things as an adjective like gospel music what is gospel music and maybe that means a big choir in some people's minds. Oh, gospel music, it's a choir and clapping of hands and and you know that's gospel. But really understanding the gospel is going to be so key because really that's how we know God. That's how we come into a right relationship with God. It's how we become justified. If you are a parent, I encourage you to ask your kids this question at a young age and at an older age, you know, what is the gospel? Well, first of all, obviously, to understand yourself, right? What is the gospel? But then to make sure that your kids understand what is the gospel? Because there's a testimony of people that come back to church in adulthood that had been gone and absent during their teens and 20s sometimes, and they come back to this place, and they said, I, I, never, he- I never heard the gospel. To me, that is terrifying terrifying as a pastor, that some people could be a part of a church congregation and go through a time of just seeking out on their own and then coming back to this place and realizing I never heard the gospel. And it could be that maybe they heard it, but their hearts weren't open. But it also could be that there are times in a person's life that they could sit and maybe be at church and not hear the gospel. And heaven forbid that would ever be us. In fact, the gospel is a part of every message in the whole Bible. Jesus is the theme of every book of the Bible. And every time you read through scripture, you realize that the gospel is just being explained, illustrated, and lived out. It's not just receiving it once as a Christian, but now how do I live in a way that the gospel is something that is the key element, the key essential of my life? So this witness of Peter was absolutely, absolutely essential. Now, Peter in verse 10, he, uh, he's gonna talk about a yoke and I need to explain this. A yoke uh, literally is what you would put like on a, a beast of burden, like an oxen. You would put a yoke on its back and it would help plow. That's the wooden thing that keeps it going uh, in a straight line. But spiritually speaking, a, a yoke is um, like teachings or things that someone should be under submission to. And this is what Peter says in verse 10. He's talking to these Pharisees who are followers of Christ. He says, now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? So what he's doing is he's saying, we couldn't even follow all the way the law and we were never justified by the law and the law was never meant to justify someone So why are you saying to these Gentiles that come that this is what they must do? And I think that sometimes as Christians, we could put yokes on people, weights on people that they weren't meant to carry. And by those weights and by those yokes, those are other things that it's kind of like Jesus plus. You know, you follow Jesus, it's by faith alone, by grace alone, plus this. And we start to add now now why would someone add a yoke why would someone add burdens and weights to someone that shouldn't have to carry those weights and burdens well let me give a few of them number one i think this one is surprising i think sometimes we could put yokes on people because we love them now that sounds kind of weird because right you wouldn't it doesn't seem like you would want to do that but let me explain it this way as a parent I could easily lead my kids to follow Christ, but mistake the message by also adding some other things. Now, if you were a a child of the 60s, um, long hair became a big deal, okay? If you were a child of the 60s, uh, you probably got in an argument with your parents over the length of your hair, especially if you're a guy, okay? Instead of parted on the side, clean cut, short hair, And you wanted to get your hair past your ears. That became a big thing. And sometimes in Christian homes. That can be added on to. An extra weight on top of the gospel. And in our kids minds, Sometimes because we love them. We're we're trying to in, in the best that we can say. Hey you know what that's kind of like a sign of the times of rebellion. But in their minds what they hear is. Oh this is what it means sometimes to be a Christian. I have to look this way. I have to act this way. Now uh smoking now while smoking is bad for your health and as a parent you could say hey don't smoke it makes the house smell and it's not good for you and and you could get lung cancer smoking is not equated to the gospel okay it's not like hey stop smoking and then you could follow christ it's like follow christ and then christ will show you that hey you should probably stop smoking because it's not good for your health um so we we could have these different i have i have good Christian friends that, that smoke. And I never, I don't bring it up as a thing of like when I'm around them, like, hey, you know what? You, how's that issue going on? I just, I just love them. You know, I just, I just talk, they're my friends. And, and yet sometimes because we might love people, we could want them to stop and then we could mistakenly, especially if it's younger people, equate that in their minds to this is what it means to be a good Christian. Let me give you another reason why sometimes we could put yokes on people. It's because we want other people to have to go through the same thing that we went through. <laughs> I, I went through all of this to get saved. You know, I was, before Christ came, I was following all these laws. I wasn't eating these certain foods. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I was a, a convert or whatever. And, and now you have to go through the same things that I went through. And we could put through, people through the ringer sometimes. And uh, that's, that's not right um sometimes we could put yokes on people because we are traditionalists this is not the way that it's always been done and so we have to keep doing things the way that it's always been done so when i started off by talking about change there's different personality types some of you you love change there's some of you here that you love change so much that it kind of wears your friends out because you're just changing all the time, changing your style, changing. Oh, I'm going to do this job. Now I'm going to go to this school. Now I'm going to do this. And you're going to change. You love change. And your life is chaotic. And there's others that change. They rearrange the seats in the church. I'm going to leave because that was my seat. This is where I always sit. And, and if someone is sitting in your seat when you get there, you know, you don't tell them, but you're kind of mad at them and you just keep it inside. You know, as a traditionalist, sometimes we want yokes because it just keeps everything in order exactly the same way. And sometimes we could put yokes on people many times because we're just ignorant. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I just mean that if someone comes to Christ and when they first come to Christ, they think this is what it means to be a Christian, they're going to tell other people this is what you got to do to become a Christian. And sometimes because of not being taught in the word or understanding the word that they could do this. So in verse 11, Peter says, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Now, if you are an English Uh, teacher or if you're a, a grammar Gestapo, you know, grammar police and you notice little things about syntax and the way that words are put together I want you to hear this in verse 11 But we believe that through the grace of the lord jesus christ We shall be saved now peter's talking to these pharisees in the same manner as they Now up to this point, what was the language? The language was the gentiles they can be saved just like us. They could be saved like we're saved. They could receive the the grace of God. They could receive the message just like us. And notice this subtle flip that Peter does and the Holy Spirit inspires, I believe. He says, now we shall be saved in the same manner as them. Now, it doesn't mean that there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. There is a mistake that sometimes christians can make called replacement theology where they could say that the church is the new israel there are there's that's not what he's saying he is saying this we're all saved by grace they're different in their heritage in their culture and their background um if you were a missionary that came from the united states let's say that you you traveled to uh Papua new guinea or to uh you know a place in you know a certain country in Africa, and you preach the gospel to them. Would you then require them to wear collars and ties? No, I mean if if the way that they dress, okay, is is uh, they don't have a shirt because it's Africa hot, and uh, they're they're just that's the way that they they live okay and and so you're you're thinking about this as a as a man the men are out there and they're they're doing these things and if you come and say now you need to wear a collared shirt you need to wear a tie you can you can confuse the message and and if you go back in history there's been some mistakes at times that that the christian world has made um trying to americanize you know other other countries or other people that they reach out to what What Peter is saying is that we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Listen to the yoke that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Where do we find rest for our souls? In what Jesus has lifted for us. And I'm not saying that we're to be lazy Christians by any stretch of the imagination. But when it comes to salvation and how God accepts us and justifies us, it's not through me doing more. It's through me resting in the finished work of Christ. In creation, the book of Genesis, even before the law was given to Moses, realize this. It says that God created the heavens and the earth. And what did he do on the seventh day? He rested and he called that day holy. Where does our holiness come from? Does it come from, I I just need to do more work. I need to do more things. I need to be better. No, our holiness comes from what Christ has done for us. And we could rest in that. Now, sanctification, I'm not saying that now we could just do whatever we want. You know, we'll get into that in Galatians and Romans. But really, it's so important to know that Jesus invites us to come, those who labor and are heavy laden. And let me ask you this morning, are you laboring to make God love you more? Are are you laboring today to get to a place, are you weary because you feel like you're not good enough so you can't really get intimate with the Lord? until you get this thing settled, until you've gone a couple of days or a couple of weeks without this sin habit. See, Jesus says, just come, and let me take that yoke off, and let me give you my yoke. It's easy. My burden is light. We're saved in the same manner as them. So even Abraham and Moses and the prophets, they were all saved by grace in faith, looking forward to the, the Christ that would come. The blood, the sacrifice of bulls and goats in the Old Testament law, those things were only meant to be this covering that points them towards the need for salvation, the need for the Savior. And so when you read in Hebrews chapter 11, this hall of faith, they're saved by faith the same way that we are saved by faith. Now, the next witnesses I'd like to call to the stand in verse 12 uh, Paul and Barnabas says, then all the multitude kept silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And notice that in this case, it says Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas was the one that was known more by the church in Jerusalem and by the people there. They probably still didn't trust Paul a whole lot. Uh, Barnabas, in this case, his name comes before Paul. But what did they testify? How many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. The way that God reached out to the Gentiles, the miracles that God did in the Gentiles, the way that the Gentiles' lives were saved. And so as they share these things, this report of that first, first missionary journey that they went on, now the next witness is James. Now Paul and Barnabas, it says that they they shared all of these things, and this must have been a long, long, long testimony we have it in, in verse 12 kind of encapsulated but the next witness that comes is james now this james uh was not james the brother of, of john uh the apostle this is james the half brother of jesus okay he becomes a leader in the church in jerusalem um, after the resurrection so it says in verse 13 And after they had become silent, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon, which is Peter, has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. Now notice how important this is when Peter testifies, Paul and Barnabas, James. It's not just their personal opinion they go to the the word of God, okay? They go to the Bible. They don't just say, this is what I think and feel. So notice it says in verse 15, uh, and, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Now, James is testifying from Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, that the Jews eventually will come back to Jesus, and he will set up the kingdom again, but the kingdom of God is open for the Gentiles. So in other words, he's saying, hey guys, this doesn't go against Scripture, it fulfills it. So what you're seeing right now, doesn't go against scripture, it fulfills it. So the Gentiles. Now this is really important that we always check our new experiences against the word of God. For the word of God confirms my experience, not the other way around. Okay, the word of God confirms my experience, not the other way around. It's not like my experience, like I, I feel. In fact, if you just base your relationship with God on feelings, you are in a world of hurt. Because if you base your relationship with God just based on feelings, there's some days where you feel like God is far. There's some days where you struggle with doubt. There's some days where you just, you don't feel like loving God or loving anyone else. We need to base our relationship with God on something that is stronger than just how I'm feeling on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. It has to be on truth of God's word that we could stand upon, that can stand the test of time. Notice it says in verse 18, this was known to, God from, uh, known to God from eternity are all his works. This is not preterist theology as though God is forming his opinion as he goes, trying to figure out what he's gonna do next. Um, this is God who is outside of time and space, who from the beginning knows what he's going to do at the end. So this is all a part of God's plan. And I hope that this morning that brings rest to your soul. There is nothing that you or I will go through that is a surprise to God. We go through just, I mean, incredible, difficult turns in life. We, we go through things that happen to us. We weren't expecting that. I wasn't expecting this person to treat me this way. I wasn't expecting to lose that job I wasn't expecting my health to, to be what it is. And when we go through turns, sometimes we could come to God with those big questions of life, sometimes kind of freaked out as though we are informing him for the first time. And God is like biting his nails up at him going, oh, uh, what should I do? Like I had a plan for you and you messed it up. Now, now what do I do? Like nothing surprises God. And I hope that that brings rest. I hope, I hope when you sleep, as it says in Proverbs, that your sleep will be sweet that you're not filled with anxiety about tomorrow and what's gonna happen because God already knows. And and yes, we we take those steps of faith and we don't know, but God knows. So just put your faith and trust in God and rest in what he already knows. And in the same way, he already knew that these Gentiles would come because he predicted it. Verse 19, now James says, therefore I judge, that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. You guys, don't trouble them, he's saying. Verse 20, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So James is going to write his, his rendering, okay? What he, he sees when Barnabas and Paul come to him uh, along with these Judaizers. Now, what he's doing is he's really just quoting from uh, Leviticus, you know, in chapter 17. This is how sojourners, this is how uh, those that were Gentiles, when they would come to a, a place um, and want to become a, a part of the fellowship, with the jews these were the things that were required of them now this is really important it was was great i had some time this last week uh talking with keith who teaches uh the hebrew roots uh bible study and we were talking about this about these sojourners and about some of these things and um you know it's it's kind of like he likened it to church membership um for me growing up in the catholic church there were sacraments And in those sacraments, I had to go through these sacraments in order to reap all of the benefits of being a part of the Catholic church. If you wanna get married in the Catholic church, here's some sacraments you must go through. Here are some some things you must do. Now, as Calvary Chapel, we don't have a church membership um, the way that some churches do. And I understand why some churches do that because there's an accountability and they want people to understand these certain things and, and doctrines. But the reason why we don't is because of this chapter in in many ways, we don't want to confuse the issue that to think that to be a Christian, you have to be a member of a church. Okay, you are a member of the church, um, the universal church of God, um, and, and again, there's there's denominations called the Universal Church of God. So anything I say is going to sound like a denomination. Uh, but but listen, if you are a follower of Christ, a disciple, you've been born again, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You believe that we're saved by what Jesus has done. He's the only one that's sinless, and we repent of our sin, we confess our sin. And guess what? You're a part of the church, capital C, and we can have fellowship with other people that go to other churches, small C. And they are other denominations, but we have those same essentials and the same things that, that are, are the way that we're justified. That's how they're justified. So they might have this weird view of prophecy or eschatology. And, and they might have this other, you know, kind of weird thing about their church ecclesiology and their church structure. And we think of it as being weird. But guess what? They think that we're weird. And you know what? We could have fellowship with them. And you know what, even if I think someone's wrong, I could sit with other pastors in Santa Cruz County at these gatherings and we could pray together and we could laugh and joke about some of the differences that are really, really funny sometimes to me. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm warped like that, but I just think there should be a sitcom called you know, Pastors and and it's just like these pastors get together and it's just, it's kind of a funny thing. And the reason why it's funny is because these brothers that I fellowship with have the same essentials It's not funny if someone says, no, the Bible's not really literally true. Uh, No, you know what? Um, Jesus isn't the only way. It's an allegory or all of these hell is just not real. It's an allegory. That's not funny. That's something that breaks my heart and should break all of our hearts because someone is missing it. It is funny when I'm sitting there and, and the guy starts to joke around with me about the rapture. And uh, he's telling me, you know, about, like, how we're in the millennium right now. And I'm laughing, like, this is it? You know, this is the the kingdom of God right now? This is what it looks like? And we're supposed to usher it in by politics? And uh, nope, nope. And we just, we start laughing, you know. And and I just say, okay, you'll see. You know, when we're on our way up, I'll say, I told you so, you know, just as we're on our way up. Uh, And listen to this. James, in in summary, when he gives these things, um, these issues, um, Remember this, non-essentials over hurts or preferences, um, those things can sometimes break fellowship. And what James is trying to get them to do is make sure that you don't break fellowship over these things. So in a sense, what he's asking them to do in these cities in which this letter is going to go back to is this. Yeah, sometimes for some of these things, give up your rights in order to bless someone else and keep fellowship with them. So, listen, these, these things, um, these three ceremonial, dietary, and, and one moral, the Jewish mindset expected this of all sojourners. So, the first thing abstain from things polluted by idols. Uh, Paul will address this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He talks about for conscience sake, eat whatever's sold in the the market, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if someone is made to stumble or if if for someone else's conscience, it's difficult for them, then don't do it. You know, don't eat meat. So if you are at your home and uh, you at dinner wanna have a glass of wine and here is a brother or sister that comes in and and you having that glass of wine for you is not sinful because in your conscience, you're cleared and you feel like, hey, God's giving me this clear conscience. But another brother doesn't feel the same way. Okay, a sister in Christ doesn't feel the same way. Now you could either say, well, this is my right. I'm gonna do this or out of love, you could say, well, I don't wanna cause them to stumble. So I'm not going to partake. And you know what? When the Gentiles, you know, when, when, Uh, They are asked to do these things. Um, Again, this is more for fellowship um, than anything else, except for, you know, there is a moral issue that's there, abstain from sexual immorality. You know, I have a friend that um, was a youth pastor and didn't know that God forbid, uh, forbade sex before marriage. That God says, no, this is only between a, a husband and a wife. And when he learned that, he was devastated. He was just devastated because, you know, here he is as a youth pastor. So as we started talking about it, let me let me tell you one of the things that really helped him, and this will help in this issue as well, understanding the why. Yes, our kids should obey us when they're really young and, and sometimes they won't understand why. But when someone starts to come to that place of understanding, it's good that they understand the why. And I shared with them about how the greatest love is is agape love you know jesus said greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friend so is your girlfriend your friend yeah absolutely so what the greatest love is agape means denial sacrifice for on behalf of another person are you willing to sacrifice to show her that that's how much you love her and to give her that security so that in marriage you've shown her that you've already been able to abstain before you're married, so then you could show her that when you're married, she could trust you when you're out of town or when there's someone else at the office. Do you want her to show her that kind of love? Absolutely. So that's that's why. And see, when James offers these things, it's not a thing of, you, you should do these things in order to be Christians or followers of Christ or to get to heaven. He's saying, really, Uh, love trumps all of these other things. Now in verse 22, it says this, then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, not Judas Iscariot, this is a different Judas, we don't know a whole lot about him, uh, named uh, Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So the church at Jerusalem not only sent Paul and Barnabas back in one accord with a letter, but they also sent two other guys from Jerusalem with them to say, hey, we're all, we're all together on this. We all agree on this. And so these two representatives go with them. And then in verse 23, they wrote this letter by them. The apostles, so notice the unity, we're all agreed. The elders and the brethren. To the brethren who are of the Gentiles, So those that are not Jewish in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. uh, Sicilia. These are these places where there was such controversy. It says, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men with you or to you, with our beloved Barnabas and Saul. And isn't that great, with our beloved Barnabas and Saul? You know, there's this unity that's there. In verse 26, notice that, that Paul and Barnabas's life, they, they match up to their message because these are men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. So here's the letter. Now imagine, um, as we as we close, you are in Antioch. You're waiting. You know that Paul and Barnabas has, have just left with these other guys that are in disagreement? They left fighting, right? These guys, when they left, they left arguing. We're gonna go to Jerusalem and we're gonna, we're gonna work this out and we're gonna see you know, who's right or who's wrong. When they come back, how do they come back? They come back united. I love this. It says in verse 30, so when they were sent off, they came to Antioch and when they had gathered the multitude together, they, all of them together, delivered the letter and when they had read it they rejoiced over its encouragement how exciting is that you know these pharisees that i have a lot of respect for they really thought that they were looking at the bible and what they were reading and and their interpretation was one thing but they were willing to study the scriptures to be accountable to the leaders in jerusalem to say I want to search the scriptures with you. And when James and Paul and Barnabas and Peter all testify and the apostles come to this agreement, notice that they these two guys are brought back as representatives to come back to Antioch to say, hey, we are all together on this. Fellowship has not been broken. We are united in Christ. And, and I'll tell you that there is so much blessing there. Um, as it says in the Psalms, you know, that, how good and how pleasant it is when when brothers and sisters, when the brethren dwell together in unity. Man, when you're with other brothers and sisters in Christ, you're unified in Christ. It's it's blessing. God's blessing dwells there. God's blessing is upon us when we are unified. And then Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets, they also exhorted. So now Judas and Silas taught. They strengthen the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. Now, the sending back is to the apostles, and now the encouragement was back to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. In other words, you know, this full membership, uh, this, this question, even though it's not a word membership, it's... It's, hey, these Gentiles have all of the same rights as believers. They have sa- all of the same privileges as believers. They have all of the same access to God as believers. And so how can we apply this? We are saved, regenerated, and born again by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. This morning, if you have any other way that you're trying to be justified by God by being better or doing more work this morning rest in what christ has done now he will change you you may have some changes of conviction um, as as the holy spirit changes you and you read the word of god but notice that those things are not so that he will save you or that he will accept you secondly hold fast to the word of god whenever you are taught something check it to scripture Whenever you hear something, if you have a question, look to the word of God. Love others. Love them so much that you're willing to go through conflict with them and even disagreements. And then don't become old wineskins. What does that mean? It means be open to the new things that God wants to do in you and through you. Um, If you get a chance, go to calvarychapel.com. There is a post on there right now that uh, the post is called uh, Pastor Chuck's Vision for the Future of Calvary Chapel. And when you read it, it, it sounds like it's being written in 2014, but it was probably written in the 1980s. And it was this heart that we would never become rigid from change, uh, you know, or from wanting to change, that we would never become so set in our ways that we are not open to new ways that God would work. Because sometimes we could latch onto things because we're comfortable in it, or that's how God works, and then we want to hold on to that. But we need to be free to go in the direction of the Holy Spirit and uh, not allow sometimes those traditions to keep us back. So, as we celebrate communion today, I'm going to have the worship team come up. Let's celebrate the gospel and what the elements of communion represent. It's Jesus' body that was broken for us. It's Jesus's blood that was shed for us. What brings our unity? It's, it's this. It's what Jesus has done for all of us. Now, maybe some of you have never received Christ in that way. You, you thought it was about membership or jumping through hoops or being good enough. And it's kind of been holding you back from fully surrendering to the Lord because you don't quite understand. You're thinking you're not there yet. You know, you're JV, you're not varsity yet. And when you get to varsity, then you could partake of communion. Well, let me say this. You could come today and just say, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Thank you for what you have done. And I thank you that I can now have fellowship. And you know what? I'm gonna invite you. If that's you for the first time, then come up, take the bread Take the cup back to your seat and pray by faith that Christ would come into your life, fill you with his spirit, and I'll lead you in in that prayer in a moment. And then as um, as we worship together, be open to the way that the Lord wants to work in your life. And just come with an open heart to say, Jesus, if there are changes that need to happen in my life, things that I have been doing, I've been in a rut maybe you just need to be refreshed allow the holy spirit to refresh you this morning and let's celebrate what god has done so let's pray jesus we thank you this morning that when we partake of communion that it's not just a religious observance or a ritual it points to a deeper truth that you came to save sinners that's all of us, Lord. That, that's all of us, no matter what kind of home we were raised in. That is all of us, no matter what our ethnic background is. Lord, that is all of us because all of us have sinned. And so when we partake of the bread and the cup, we're proclaiming that there is no other way to be justified, no other way to be born again, no other way to be changed from the inside out than what you have accomplished for us. And it's by faith that we partake together. So Lord, search our hearts this morning and we pray that should you show us areas of our lives that need to change, places where we need to repent, that we would do that, that we wouldn't be afraid of trusting you because you've already demonstrated your love for us and that you died for us so lord unify us this morning fill us with your spirit we pray this in jesus name amen